0: Uh, Welcome to the session, Enterprise 226. There are lots of enterprises today who are thinking about modernization. And when think about modernization, all of them are thinking about starting their journey. Many of them have been succeeding, but there are many of them who are stalling as well. In this session today, we are going to talk about patterns that are succeeding, anti-patterns that you should probably avoid, and also focus on strategy that might help you succeed. My name is Ajit Sadegaukar. Uh, I lead, uh, I'm a worldwide tech lead focused on enterprise modernization. My co-speaker is Chris Dillon. He works at Cox Automotive. I'll bring him on the stage at a later point. Let's look at it. There is not an enterprise leader who is in the room, or otherwise, who is not thinking about digital modernization. It was 2018 when there was a tip of the iceberg and when digital modernization started to become part of the CEO's top agenda. And then, it started to go down in every organization, every department, everyone started to think about how do I do digital transformation? And modernization is an essential part of digital transformation. So that's when they started to think. And it started to disrupt many industries, it started to disrupt many functions, departments, every other, uh, every other thing. The technology started to enter the boardroom as well. Now, many of them started to do that and started to do it very well. On the other hand, we saw many of them started to stall, they started to have disruptions, and even if digital modernization everyone's talking about, it failed to deliver the promises that they really hoped for. So if you look at it, when we talk about digital modernization, let's look at quickly, what are the characteristics of a modern digital business? And these are some common patterns that are pretty prominent among those who are very successful, not only in converting their business to digital business, but also modernizing their business. So number one among them is customer obsession. And it's not just a word, but think about when you think about modernization or digital transformation, it's about how do you drive a better experience to your customer. Uh, an example is not only many of the retail sites where you buy, you recommend, you ship, and also close the loop. It's, it's about better experience. So the, the enterprises who are really thinking about how to how to ace their digital modernization, among number one things is about thinking about customers and thinking about the experience is the delivery of the experience. These organizations are organizing them for the value. The days are gone when you have a budget and it equally gets sliced through the different organizations. That has changed. Organizations are now thinking about where is my maximum business value? How do I maximize my investment through them? And they're organizing not only their business lines but engineering teams as well through through the maximum business value. The third thing which is among one of the characteristics, the digital organizations, they have become a learning organization. They have been able to test faster at a faster speed, but they've also been able to learn through their successes and even through their failures. So it's about how do you quickly test and also not live with collateral damages. The the next one among the characteristics is, even if they're talking about digital modernization, technology is at the core. While technology is at the core, they are not necessarily becoming a technology organization, but they are thinking very hard about how to use technology and exploit it to drive their businesses and make more strategic decisions using the technology. And the last one here on the slide is about how do they use the data? As we know, data is king, and data has a lot of insights hidden in there, but these organizations have been able to figure out how to use data and drive those insights through the data to drive their business strategy. Now that we've looked at some of the characteristics, let's look at what are the common capabilities of modern digital business? Uh, when we look through the characteristics, there are common capabilities that are needed. If you're thinking about either modernization or transformation, uh, uh, all of these capabilities are pretty common and they lead to the success. And number one among them is unified digital platform. So more and more organizations are coming towards a common digital platform where uh, entire organization is rallying around on building a common platform across the departments, across the functions, so they can use really one platform. Not only it helps them standardizing things across the organizations, across departments, across teams, it also helps them onboard and also mobilize resources across different functions to focus on different things and it, it really draws back the agility across the organization. The second capability that most most of these organizations need is analytics and intelligent insights. All enterprises have data uh, the data has no color until you start to draw the insights from them so these and uh, the modern digital capability around analytics is about how do you extract the insights from the data, but not also depend only on few people who can extract the data. How do you democratize it? How do you make those consumable nuggets that can be spread across the organization and drive through those? So data democratization through the data insights is the second important capabilities that these organizations have. Number three is business and IT integration. When you think about modernization, I put. I meet with a lot of customers, and number one thing that comes across uh, among the ones who. who who have not been succeeding well, they think of these as two different problems. The ones who are doing it well, they think about how do I integrate my business and IT together? It's about complementing each other. If you have a business strategy, how do I use technology to drive those decisions? How do I grow my business? How do I reach out to my customers faster? And uh, really fueling the capability overall through the exploitation of technology. Now that we have looked at those, let's look at some of the common business outcomes that modern digital businesses uh, and modernization is driving. Uh, speed, of course, is one of the top most things. Uh, speed trumps all. I-, I hope you have seen it uh, many articles, and you must have uh, faced it yourself. In today's time, speed is really important. So modern digital businesses can gain a lot of acceleration, either reaching to their customers, rolling out the features, uh, tapping on additional opportunity in the marketplace, even capturing additional market share. Uh, it, it's all about really pleasing their customers. If you can do it faster, if there is a faster frequency you can reach out to their customers, uh, it really flourishes. So uh, speed is about also taking your ideas to user faster, right? So number one is speed. Number two is agility. Agility is, it also means how do you experiment quickly and faster and learn through those. And that also goes about how do I quickly get on to the opportunity, how do I track it, how do I really encash that opportunity for my business. So build and operate on a foundation of innovation. That's what business leaders are looking for. And that's one of the common most asked outcomes that business leaders are asking for. When the speed and agility is important, the third important thing is no one just want only speed. speed only speed can lead you to crashes. Without agility, you can't really succeed in your business. But the third important thing here is businesses are looking for speed and agility at reduced risk. Increased speed doesn't mean increased risk. So they are looking at means, how do we create modernization without incurring additional risk? How do we do it, the business without disrupting what's going on, right? So it's about how do we create what it. Uh, What it translates it to for the technology is, how do we create a resilient IT that not only fuels the business, but lowers the risk portfolio on an ongoing incremental basis? Well, all of that is fine. Technology has started to go into the boardroom and has started to improve the efficiency. So uh, last here on the slide, but not the least, Uh, uh, the operational efficiency is really one of the top drivers that many many businesses are looking for. They're looking at dropping their cost of transaction, they're looking at doing cost of business, Uh, but overall operational efficiency is also an important part that's starting to play, play out nicely. So now that we have looked at some of the important things that are part of the modern digital business, let's look at how does all of these fit into and fuel the modernization. So when you think about enterprise-wide modernization, let's take a minute and understand what is enterprise modernization. So when you think about modernization, in very simple words, is the legacy enterprise technology, you're modernizing those using or by combining three important aspects. That's infrastructure, second is operational and organizational patterns, and third is architecture. And using all of those, you're trying to drive some underlying benefits. And some of those are like, how do you maximize your resiliency? How do you gain more engineering efficiency? Uh, How do you gain business agility and speed that we looked at? And those ultimately results into better uptime, faster releases, um, more scalability, and increased efficiency. So that's what we mean by uh, enterprise modernization. It's not just the technology modernization, but you're using technology to drive business modernization. There are many, many customers who have been really good at it, and I want to share some of the examples here. If you look at it, uh, FICO, they actually dropped their overall compute cost by 95%, and that's not small feat. The businesses can gain tremendous value, and they can reinvest that money in doing something that they've never done before. If you look at Coca-Cola, very traditional non-IT company in a way, they are in a very traditional business that I hope you all know, uh, but they have been able to reduce their processing time from from a day just to a couple seconds. And that's, again, a significant part of how companies and enterprises are going and looking at modernization to fuel their business, gain additional capabilities. FINRA, uh, I'm sure you all know about them. But a couple of years ago, it was really unheard. How do you create a market situation? Now they are able to create a whole stock stock validation system, a very critical piece of uh, what they do very quickly. And they were able to build whole thing under three months. That's again an example of how you can quickly gain the business agility by focusing on the right things. On the other hand, speed is important. Uh, a publishing business like Washington Post, it's really important, the speed matters. You want to be the first one to reach out to the masses in, you are in the business. They, they are doing more than 50 deployments an hour. So these are some of the examples of how modernization is driving the business outcomes, but they are not the only ones. One of our, uh, my favorite customer, Intuit, they own the Mint.com. They have been able to restructure modernization in a way that's driving tangible business outcomes, and the examples are not only they have been able to reduce their cost, but they have been able to do the failover scenarios from half an hour back down to a minute. So these are some of the examples on non-traditional, non-technology companies. They are able to do modernization and drive some significant business benefits. I want to welcome Chris Dillon, who is VP of Architecture at Cox Automotive. It's a $21 billion automotive group. And Chris and his team has been able to do modernization for the last several years on AWS. And Chris is here to share their journey and learnings. Welcome, Chris. Would you mind to share? uh, Sure. Let me grab that. Um, So let me,
1: uh, what I'm going to do is start by just introducing Cox Automotive because uh, we're probably one of the largest automotive uh, companies in North America that you have never heard of. Um, uh, (coughs) We uh, actually sit behind a lot of the retail and wholesale ecosystem with various (coughs) services. And if you were a dealer. Uh, you would absolutely have heard of us. Uh, dealers come to our uh, B2B marketplaces, whether digital or physical, to acquire inventory for their lots. Uh, then they, uh, they might ship the inventory to their lots using our logistic services. They might finance the inventory on their lots uh, with us. We're actually one of the biggest banks in the business, just not for consumer loans, it's for dealer loans. Um, then they might advertise with us, and, and this is where you would have heard of uh, brands like Auto Trader or Kelly Blue Book. Um, those are both uh, our digital businesses uh, that about 70% of consumers in the U.S. will access during their shopping process for a vehicle. Uh, then they might, uh, if you went to a dealership, they might uh, capture your information in a CRM that uh, we're providing. Uh, They might uh, think about how to structure the deal using tools that we provide. So anyways, we we have a a variety of businesses from kind of brick and mortar, operational, uh, banking, digital businesses, and then software as a service. And uh, as you might imagine, we put all of that together through, uh, not organically, but through a series of acquisitions. So for about 10 years, we were acquiring... Uh, companies, and in some cases, the companies that we were acquiring had been on their own acquisition uh, journey as well. And that, as you can imagine, left us with just a lot of diversity in our environment. Um, We had uh, 53 data centers. We had everything from uh, kind of, uh, you know, AS400 to cloud native. Uh, We had lots of different ways of delivering software from from an operating model perspective. Um, And yet we had this vision for where we wanted to go, which was uh, to integrate and provide integrated solutions um, to our dealers. And so we chose AWS to be our our cloud platform and the platform that we would start building upon. And so we we decided, and this was about uh, two and a half, three years ago, that all new software would be built on AWS, and that we would start moving workloads into AWS. And that sets up the context for, I think, more of the story that I'll tell as we uh, as we well, keep going.
0: I'm pretty sure that... merging through so many acquisitions and finding a cohesive unit and modernizing through all of them must have been complicated and very fruitful as well, uh, But and it seems that while many organizations fail at it, you actually did not stall. So the question really for everyone here is, why do organizations stall to begin with on their modernization journey? So I want to talk a little bit about those, and I'll talk about three anti-patterns, why organizations stall. But before we go into there, let's understand modernization a little bit. So when you think about the overall uh, different aspects of modernization, the top right are the, where we are focusing a little bit. So, the strategies could be re-host, re-platform, or re-architecture. And as you see on, this, uh, on the chart there, the, as you go up on the right, the more business value starts to drive. But it's a very complex process. But through those, you create new capabilities. So first of all, it's complex. It's time-taking. But the rewards are high. The stakes are high as well. Uh, if, you, if you look at the data that Gartner and NTT provided, the re-architecting the application is the maximum benefit that provides to the business if you're thinking about the legacy workloads so uh, let's look at those anti patterns that actually cause the stall i have three of them that i want to talk through so number one is really the so, so, slow cycle plan with big projects if if you think about modernization first of all we know it's complex it requires a lot of uh, heavy lifting but it doesn't have to be very long tail uh, the Organizations, as we saw, those are succeeding, they have a higher frequency, they are moving at a faster speed. But the ones who are actually taking modernization as a two, three year journey, but are thinking that let me focus on re-architecting or modernizing everything, wait for two uh, two years, let me just build something, and eventually it's a big bang, big execution, big risk. And that's falling a lot more. The businesses are waiting until that point that, oh, is there any benefit? Businesses look at it a little bit differently. You have been asking for money, you are investing time and energy and in, uh, in all the resources in it. At the end of two years, it's pretty much the same functionality. So why should I fund it? So it, it's a little bit of anti-pattern that you go on a big bang and you keep on increasing the scope of project, you keep on increasing the risk, and also keep the business uh, hostage until that work is done. So that's number one anti-pattern. The number two, on my list is really non-convergent pursuits. When you talk about modernization, invariably, it usually starts with application stability uh, issues. When people start talking about, oh, I have applications that are really not scaling, uh, and that's why I want to do modernization. I want to move them to microservices. And so that's usually the first symptom that people start to focus on. They eventually just quickly jump onto it and they start breaking down their applications. The second thing that happens is, they have an ongoing operational bleed, uh, there are inefficiencies, and there is a parallel team that in operations, they start to chase the pursuit in a different direction, is how do I contain my operational costs? Or even the resource drain that are constantly going in. If you're not aware, uh, generally speaking, enterprises report that about two-thirds of their all resources and energy are going into just keeping the lights on. So their operational spend are already high, but they start to think about a different pursuit on how do I contain those. The third is, everyone is talking about agility. So they start another third process, is how do I how do I reduce the processes causing slowness? And many of those are the old school processes. They're not really gelling well with the new software lifecycle or how the uh, enterprises want to move. They're not pacing up with those. Uh, there are many examples of those. Uh, a classic example is the PMO office starts to start thinking about how do I do software development and they create a new process in isolation without consulting the developers. On the other side, uh, developers starting to think about, oh, I'm gonna just release it through a CICD without really consulting and thinking about all the operational aspects. So uh, really the entire pattern here is doing the right things, but these are all right things, they're all right causes, but they are in, the pursuits are in different direction, there are no converging points. So the organizations that are doing well, they think about how do we take those all in a common direction so overall business benefits through those and there is a common synergy that you can drive through those. The number third, number uh, which is an anti-pattern again, is serialized dependent execution. If you think about it, many of you and many other enterprises are thinking about, oh, I want to do the DevOps, I want to do the infrastructure automation, and there is a data problem that I want to solve, there's an architecture problem that I want to solve. And they think about these as building blocks. So they'll start about creating a cloud infrastructure and they'll wait for a number of months and then they'll wait for data strategy to be resolved and they'll start thinking about the architecture. But over time, it just takes building blocks and they consume a lot more time, months over months over month. And then again, businesses lose patience. In reality, it doesn't have to be that way. If you're here, uh, the journey can be on three parallel tracks on going into how do you get there. So really that's the gap between where you are and where you want to get there is your modernization path. And that's, we will talk a little bit about on strategy, how to get there. So the next question is, now now that we saw the anti-patterns and why organizations stall, the question is, how do you avoid that stall? And Cox has been really Uh, successful in not stalling. They have been continuously on a move. They have been modernizing through many brands and many acquisitions, and they have gained a lot of operational efficiencies. So I am going to ask you, Chris, how have you been able to manage uh, all those momentum? I'm glad you asked. (laughs) So I
1: happen to have slides for that. Um, (laughs) So I'll talk about a few different uh, things that I think have been beneficial to us. Number one uh, is for us, again, remember our story. we acquired a bunch of companies and brought them together, very diverse. We had an overarching mission though which was um, which was really important and that was going to require retooling um, really across the enterprise, across all of these uh, these different companies and and digital businesses and uh, and we really hitched our modernization journey to that. we said okay." Uh, you know, if we're going to, to build this integrated set of solutions for our customers, for them to work the way that they expect them to, we need to be on a common platform. You were actually talking about kind of that, that common digital platform mm-hmm. for us. Uh, moving to AWS and then modernizing there was a part of that, uh, that process, and so we hitched it to, uh, to a, business, um, a business goal. Uh, One of the things we like to say is that there aren't any technology projects. There are only business projects. And so we did that in this case. We hooked Mm -hmm. it to a business initiative. Um, And and the first thing that we did to really make that successful, a thing that actually happened before we made the AWS uh, decision, was that we moved to a common delivery model. So we were everything from kind of waterfall to lean startup style. Um, in terms of the way that our teams operated. And that created a lot of friction uh, within our teams, and and trying to get us all moving in the same direction was difficult. So we actually uh, implemented a lightweight version of Scaled Agile Framework. Um, We will illustrate what that looked like here on this slide. Uh, uh, Getting them all into a common kind of structure, right? And for us, it was about organizing around value streams, um, uh, that was, was kind of new to some of our teams to organize that way, um, but thinking about and organizing teams around a particular platform or set of platforms that were delivering value to a customer, um, that was important. It was also important for us to get roles and responsibilities common across our entire enterprise from a, from a software engineering perspective. So if you pick up the phone and you're on a team and you're calling another team that you haven't met before, but you're trying to integrate. Having shared expectations around what a given kind of role does um, was important. It removed, again, a lot of friction for us. Mm-hmm. Um, so the second, or actually, I guess the third thing that uh, I think was important or has been important in, in terms of, you know, um, avoiding the stall is uh, early on we created uh, an an enablement framework. We actually have an enablement team that provides this set of services to the rest of our teams. We didn't want teams to have to worry about and figure out for themselves um, how to operate safely within AWS. We wanted to give them runway. We wanted to give them guardrails that would help them get started really quickly. We also trained a lot of folks. So this team provides training to our engineers. We train hundreds of engineers every year. Um, and that's been super important. The other thing we did was we hired, uh, we hired some experts. Um, some of them actually were uh, uh, you know, solution architects from Amazon who were partnered with us, kind of permanently allocated to our account that we could then deploy to teams to help support what they were doing. Um, So that was our enablement framework. Mm -hmm. I think that was a big part of what uh, set us up for success and has kept momentum. The other thing I would say here is we continue kind of year after year to add to this framework. So if I had shown you this slide a year ago, it wouldn't have had the DevSecOps uh, capability within it. That was something we added to the team this year. Um, And then the fourth uh, area that I'll mention is just, you know, AWS is a very large platform. New services added you know, all the time, certainly this week, lots of new services uh, introduced and so forth. One of the things we did was we, we encouraged our teams, while they had freedom to use the entire platform, we encouraged them to lean in heavily to the PaaS offerings, to the managed services and so forth. We didn't want folks to, to figure out how to uh, you know, run, for example, an, an open source framework uh, within uh, or on EC2, when there was like a managed service that could do it for them. Um, so that was, that was key. So those are the four things that, that I would start with. One, we linked it to a broader business transformation. Uh, number two, um, we, uh, we organized our teams so that they had sort of a common language. We built some runway for them so that they could easily onboard, And then we gave them some guardrails around how to use the platform and, and you know, encourage them to do it in a, in a particular set of way. Uh-huh. So those are some of the things for us, Ajit. And uh, I know that you've seen you know, a lot of other customers. So why don't you keep going with that? Tell us about other kind of patterns that you've seen that have, uh, that have been successful.
0: Sure. Uh, before we go into talking about other customers, quickly recapping the challenge here. The number one challenge that we talked about is businesses are not seeing a lot more value and they're losing patience if you don't deliver them in a timely and incremental manner. So that's number one problem is not delivering the value through the modernization. But second problem is not linking your IT initiative with business. That's equally important problem. The third problem that we saw was independent pursuits and non-convergent directions. So uh, let's let's look at it, and we looked at many, many customers who have been successful, uh, our own journey at Amazon, and we looked at patterns that we, uh, I talked about, anti-patterns. Let's look at the patterns, and let's build upon a strategy that we have seen to be resonating and succeeding many of our customers. So I want to talk about the five dimensions on the technology side and couple on the business side. So number one uh, of the five dimensions that... Uh, we believe are really foundation for any modernization. Irrespective whether you're talking about architecture modernization, you're talking about infrastructure modernization, these dimensions are common to all of them. Those who are looking at these as a common framework, they have been really leaps and bounds ahead, and they are succeeding. So number one is infrastructure automation. While I'm calling it infrastructure automation, it's really automation end-to-end, right from infrastructure all the way to platform, all the way to infra, uh, to your application, and also managing and running in operations and post-operation processes. As we know, automation drives significant operational efficiency, but the number one, I would call it, is really tap onto those think through automation as number one thing as you're starting to think about modernization. Through the automation, there are some other benefits that you get, is repeatability. And uh, and those are really important. You can really rerun any of those whenever you want. There's a repeatability, there's a consistency, there's a code. So there are uh, those tangible benefits. Number two is really thinking about a builder springboard platform. uh, I know most of you have heard about CICD but that's not the only thing how about creating a platform where developers can uh, really use that platform and focus on building new functionality new features or even new products and not worrying about how do I do the code promotion how do I do deployment how do I do the canary deployment how do I reduce the risk where does my logging and observability and many other things like those those go in. So thinking about a cohesive development platform and using it as a rapid development framework for your builders, that's an important part. Uh, so when you want to gain the speed, you want to have consistency, you want to be, uh, you want to have agility, all those things matter. So the second dimension, I'll repeat it again, is the creating a builder platform that has all the interesting things that helps developers focus on what matters most. That's building the business logic, getting back to their customers with new functionality, and the framework takes care of the most of the other heavy lifting uh, that's in a built-in manner. Number three is ubiquitous access to data. When we think about data, it's not just data store, uh, and it's not just the data lake. These are the different patterns, but really, Think about how is data going to be used in the organizations? What are the different types of roles and responsibilities that need the data? Of course, businesses need the data to drive the insights and from insights drive their business strategy. But how about taking it, extending it further, and creating repeatable data access patterns for different types of needs? Either it's real-time data or reporting or trending year over year, or even taking a pulse of the market all of those require you to think about data access patterns a little bit differently and even arranging and storing data a little bit differently thankfully aws has a lot of different data for purpose-built databases and data stores that you can use but again really the idea here is thinking about data and making consumable modules that can help you democratize the data whether it's application or your business analyst or some other functions but really making it easily available so everyone can start using those data and it fuels the innovation. It helps modernize the business. Number four here is architecture evolution. And I'm sure you all have heard about microservices. And microservices are a great scaling pattern. So scalability, reliability, resilience, all of those you can build through the, you can evolve the architecture to address all of those. That's not the only part you should focus. The important thing is also architecting for maintainability, architecting for sustainability, architecting for operability. If you're building an architecture but you don't have a good operational plan, then it results into even more operational burden. Many of the customers in early days, they started to think about application modernization, they went and broke their monolith went into containers. They had inherent problem is how do we, they were inefficient in managing couple thousand VMs and now they had 20,000 containers and they, their operational cost went through the roof and I was one of them who faced it uh, firsthand. So really don't make that mistake. Think through about how are you gonna operationalize and that needs to come through the architecture that enables that. So even if you did those four things, in all of these, where does the accountability lies? There will be many microservices, there will be many data access patterns, there will be fast development, and there is automation, but how do you fix the accountability? So the fifth pillar is organizing for value. We looked at it one of those important characteristics of modern digital business, and it's about people, process, and culture. If you don't have a culture built in that's really Everyone is focused for speed. Everyone is thinking about agility. People are not afraid of making mistakes. At the same time, if they are not learning through the making mistakes as well, then it doesn't really glue it together. So uh, at Amazon, we call it operating model. We call it 2 piece team It's a full-stack team where different roles contribute together for a common purpose these are small empowered teams they drive their own roadmaps they prioritize themselves they work very closely with business and customers so those type of culture and organizing for value is an important part so these are the five technology dimensions on any kind of modernization, irrespective whether you're breaking a monolith or you're doing replatforming, you're changing data stores, or you're building a new feature. If you balance these five aspects, you are covering well on all technology aspects. Now, these five doesn't promise to deliver the business. So let's look at the two different things that you can do to drive the business value. Number one among them is really bringing product and all other support teams together and when you're driving through those take every piece of task and cut through those five dimensions and driving the business value so l- let me explain take a minute and explain those so if you had let's say an example you wanted to break a monolith and it would have taken you maybe 18 months then really think about what can you do in first 3 months and address the most pain point in 12 to 16 months and deliver that so business can see the value hopefully there will be enough business gain that business want to regain reinvest the benefits that they have gained and fund the next wave of modernization. In this model, what happens is not only you're delivering those five dimensions, which can, and in most cases, they do become blueprints and templates that you can use through your modernization journey. You can take it to different teams who are working on different set of challenges, but the byproducts are very beneficial. You have infrastructure as code through automation. You have a rapid development framework you have consumable data patterns you have a nice architecture reference architecture that you can take through the different organization so take that vertical slice instead of building a staircase model where you're building one on another take a vertical slice and just do the right sizing focus on what you can deliver in a smaller slice. It can be 12 weeks or it can be 16 weeks, depending, but don't make it really big bang, that increases your risk. The other advantage is, if something is not working, you can learn very quickly. I've, I've talked to many customers where their modernization project goes on and they learn through after six, eight months that, oh, something didn't really work out. They thought about the architecture, but it's really not scaling to the level that they initially thought for. So this model not only drives the business benefits, it creates that repeatable pattern that you can use and drive the speed, you can drive the agility, and most importantly, it resonates with the business. As Chris mentioned, it's not a technology problem. Modernization is a business problem. And if you do it well, if you deliver the business value in small incremental nuggets, then businesses are more than willing to fund even the next wave, and next wave, and next wave, and it becomes uh, it, it becomes basically an uh, integrated engineering and business problem. So now that uh, we have seen this, a uh, pretty busy slide, but I want to take an alternative view to it, a uh, much more simpler view. Uh, so number one here is really a joint sponsorship. So when you're thinking about modernization, again, I'll repeat, it's not a technology problem, it's a business problem. So really have a joint ownership with the business is what problem are we trying to solve? It's easy to say the application is not scaling, but what does it impact the business? If if the scalability or availability is impacting your existing business, then let's talk about it. And how are you gonna address through modernization, which will drive and address those business points. So really have a joint sponsorship with tech and uh, business together, and setting the tone for value-driven approach through the modernization. The second important point of the strategy is really start small reduce the blast radius, reduce the risk, and really learn through the small incremental manner. And it shouldn't be a surprise, I think most of you must be exercising ag- agile uh, practices, but really implement those onto your modernization journey as well. And partner with business to really make a smaller scope uh, in your modernization journey. And here, by making smaller incremental, you gain the momentum and drive the business results frequent and early. And when you're starting small, it's also important to really focus and very crisply define the MVP. And that's a minimum viable product. That's going to be the key in how you define the business value and not really oversubscribing to the idea, I want to boil the ocean and deliver so much. And that's where your partnership that you uh, joint sponsorship that you created will help you define the scope. The third is, now that you have created different blueprints, the important thing is, now how do you encash those? You have gained the momentum, you have built the framework, you have built the templates, you have a joint sponsorship, you have a model that uh, MVP you have delivered. It's really time about how do you scale it. And the scale is really, it comes through the split and seed. Now that you've created a small team that uh, really worked, then take that model, take those templates, take those processes that worked for you, and really spread it across the organization. And that leads to the enterprise-wide modernization. So uh, really, uh, three important things. Joint sponsorship, small bite-sized delivery, and split and seed. Five dimensions that we talked about, and two execution strategies, vertical slicing and dropping the outcomes, business outcomes, early enough. So now that we have seen patterns, type patterns strategy, the question is, really, where do you start? We are talking about a lot of legacy workloads. I want to modernize many of them. Where do you actually start? There are many ways, uh, and you, you can pick and choose that I want to start with application, but it would be one of those pursuit in non-convergent directions. So let's look at it, how you can actually do it. Uh, I have a simplistic model uh, here. Uh, let's look at a strangler pattern. I hope you are aware of it. It's the Martin Fowers strangler pattern, came of the Australian Strangler FIG, tree, the idea is very simple. If you have a monolith that you want to retire, then create a layer of indirection, create a new functionality, and start diverting traffic or request between old and the new uh, systems. Over time, there will be more and more new services, and the legacy workload or legacy footprint will start to shrink. And uh, once that is done, you can retire. Now, there's an alternate approach. Uh, to doing this as well. Let's look at that as well. If you're on a mission to slice a monolith, then you can actually look at it in a domain. Uh, Many of you, uh, if you're aware about event storming and domain-driven design, this is pretty much similar. How do you define what are the endpoints? Uh, How do you decompose a monolith? You figure out what are the endpoints, what are the uh, services behind the endpoints, and then what are the shared services among them? Each one of them can actually become a domain or a subdomain or together they can be an aggregate. But while you're doing it, don't forget there are functional requirements that actually are going to prove the business value and those are security, reliability, performance, operational uh, excellence and cost. These are important. Without those, you won't be able to meet the business requ- business needs. Now, are, this is much simplistic uh, version and Chris mentioned that uh, his team uh, focused on a couple of dimensions from the strategy, but I want to get back to uh, Chris real quick where his team has been able to modernize KBB and other properties that they have through uh, many of the models we talked about. So Chris, really, uh, can you talk about how did you go about modernizing KBB and other portfolios that you had? Yeah, absolutely. So
1: KBB is a example of exactly what um, Ajit was talking about here in terms of decomposing a monolith. Uh, KBB has been around for almost a hundred years. Uh, it actually started as a book um, that was published on the West Coast amongst some dealers and then it grew into a thing that I remember when I was a kid, I would go to the library and look at the Kelly Blue Book to see how much various cars were worth. Um, now it's a website and that website was uh, about 15 years old. Um, and to modernize it, what we did was uh, started by lifting and shifting it into uh, AWS, and, uh, and that gave us kind of a context to start decomposing it. Um, actually, the lead architect for uh, KBB.com is, is actually here in the room. Um, he and his team thought through, all right, what are the bounded contexts um, that we could represent KBB as? What are the, um, the discrete business areas mm-hmm. that have particular customer sets? And they drew up kind of that target. And then they organized the teams around that target architecture before it had been decomposed. And they started iterating uh, through a process of decomposition. And so um, for each bounded context area, they thought through, um, all right, how should the applications be structured to maximize kind of our agility, our ability to deploy independently, dependently, um, decrease the, uh, the dependency and friction across teams and they started working in that direction. And, uh, and it took uh, about a year to kind of get to a place where they had decomposed the monolith and uh, were operating as a set of bounded contexts that could each deploy uh, independently. Uh, and, and at that point, instead of deploying you know, once uh, every week or two in the monolith context, uh, they were able to, each one of these you know, bounded contexts were able to deploy uh, many times a week, kind of, you know, without any dependency across across teams and so forth. So shipping product to their customers a lot faster. Um, the other thing that they did was, again, this wasn't just a technology project. Uh, each, uh, each time as they were taking a piece of the monolith and decomposing it and, and uh, separating it out, they had certain business objectives they were trying to meet as well, um, whether new functionality or just performance improvements. Certainly in a consumer-facing website, uh, every bit of performance that you can produce for the end user translates into better conversion through the funnels that you're trying to drive traffic through. Um, so as they went through this process, they saw lift in all those, those various ways. Um, so that's one story. Uh, and again, sort of maps into what you were just describing in terms of the, the monolith decomposition. I'll tell a couple of others. Um, One of the things you mentioned was data ubiquity. So that was uh, really important to us as well. Uh, Again, acquisitions, we sort of had various purpose-built data environments um, that were supporting the legacy businesses, uh, not necessarily supporting the vision that Cox Automotive had. So uh, a couple of years ago, we started thinking through, all right, what is kind of a cloud native data platform gonna look like for us? What are the various components uh, what, what are the use cases it would need to support to really uh, make data discoverable by teams? Um, we, we thought about three things as being kind of the, the key pillars. One was we've got to make it easy to, uh, to get data into the, into the platform, so ingest had to be super easy for teams. Uh, it had to be easy to discover data, uh, so we needed kind of a data cataloging type of capability where teams could look or data analysts or data scientists could could just sort of browse through what are the data assets that we have uh, and then could request access to them Um, and then super easy to to get that access Um, and so uh, we've been iterating towards that it's been a journey for us we've actually uh, changed our approach a couple of times Um, uh, but at this point we, uh, we have kind of standard patterns for um, that ingest side, uh, whether it is a you know, S3 bucket that you want to register into the system, um, or you have a Kinesis stream that you want to send data in, lots of different ways you can publish data into the system. Um, we have implemented a tool that is that catalog capability that I described, um, that's really helpful in, in documenting not just what data assets are available, but also what kind of the um, uh, the requirements around that da- those data are in terms of uh, re- uh, security and, and so forth. Uh, and, then, and then a variety of uh, patterns that we support for, uh, for accessing the data. Again, whether you're an engineering team that needs to get a real-time kind of stream, or if you are a, uh, a team of data science, uh, scientists who just need access and want to move the data into a sandbox and play with it. Um, so this has been another one of our you know, initiatives over the last couple of years. And then the, the third one that I wanted to highlight that was, um, I actually won't drain this slide, but I'll tell a quick story. So um, uh, it was four years ago uh, this week that I was at my first reInvent, and we were, um, uh, we were really not on our AWS journey at all yet. Uh, we, were, we came away from it, I remember, thinking, man, we are we are really behind um, where we want to be. And, and so it kind of was a wake-up call, which was great. But I remember one session that we went to, uh, because we, uh, one of our uh, businesses is, is uh, advertising. So we do advertising, display advertising, and that sort of thing for dealers. And we had a platform that, have a platform that um, has to be uh, incredibly fast at responding to you know, real-time bidding. Uh, request. So it's processing or participating in 500,000 bids per second. Uh, it's like hundreds of instances across a couple of data centers. The data centers were strategically located near uh, Google data centers so that we could, because we were largely, you know, this was like display advertising served up by things like DFP. Um, and uh, so I remember going to a talk that, that was titled, you know, how we built a real-time <laughs> bidding engine on AWS. And going with a couple of colleagues and saying, I don't believe it. Like, we, they couldn't do what, you know, what we've built. We, we couldn't do that in the cloud, probably not. wouldn't work. Uh, we watched the talk. We were still very skeptical. Um, and, uh, but then uh, it, it was actually uh, coming up on, uh, let's see, it's been over a year now at this point. But um, a couple of years later we actually did just that we moved our real-time bidding environment um, into aws and then started modernizing it there Um, but what we found really quickly like as soon as we as soon as we deployed and and got it up and running um, that we had much faster actually response time uh, much lower cost we were much more resilient um, than we were previously and, uh, and it was actually the very first data center that we exited. Remember that I said on an earlier slide we had 53 data centers when we um, kind of finished this, acquis- this most recent set of acquisitions. And uh, part of our AWS strategy was to start closing those. So we were linked also to a, a data center consolidation strategy. Um, the very first one that we exited was the one that was running our real-time bidder that we were highly skeptical would ever work when we first, you know, were at our, at our first reInvent. So that was just you know, an exciting story for us. We're, we're now halfway through that process, by the way. So we've, we've closed about 26, 27 data centers. We're still on our way. Our target is to have three. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as we move in, we're, we're modernizing and continuing to.
0: Thanks for sharing great yeah. insights on how you modernized. So uh, getting back to uh, how do you start the journey? Yeah. I think there are lots of anecdotes here. Uh, The chief architect uh, from KBB is here as well. We'll step aside after we complete the session and take any questions if you have uh, between the session and the drinks. So uh, really, uh, what are the actions? How can you get started? Uh, Chris had a great journey. So I will simplify uh, guidance for you guys. Really identify the number one is identify that high business value workload. That's going to be key on how you modernize. Number two is... Identify the capabilities that you want to harness for your modernization. And these are some of the capabilities that we looked at, the capabilities that modern digital business need, the characteristics, and avoiding those anti-patterns. The third is really strategize. When you talk about modernization, re-architecture is not the only path. There could be a re-hosting like these guys did uh, and gain the benefits at the first go. There could be replatforming strategies where you're moving some of the things that you're running by yourself to manage services. And the great examples could be your queuing systems or your file systems or even your application servers. You can go to containers and uh, serverless. There are lots of uh, even managed databases as well. So replatforming, re-platforming can be a very sub- substantial play in your overall modernization strategy. The the fourth Action that you can do is enrich your modernization journey by learning the path. You're here, you're learning lots of things, but really look at the training. There are lots of trainings available, there are lots of patterns, reference architecture available. Look at doing the certification, really uh, getting the new skills that you're going to need, and that's how you build the modernization capabilities. And fifth, And Chris alluded to that as well. If you need help, really ask for those. We have solution architects, we have account teams, we have lots of forums, lofts, really reach out and ask for expert help and then learn through those and really socialize those learning through the organization. This week, we are doing a lot of uh, other sessions that are similar and uh, they're revolving around the modernization theme. Some of those are here on the list that you might want to attend, but remember, You are not alone in this journey. Modernization is number one thing that we are hearing from customers. Many of them are already on their modernization journey. Here are the industry leaders that are already beginning or have already modernized on AWS. When you are here, really socialize, meet with others, really learn through. But remember, when you come to reInvent, you are coming here to learn there is no need to stop when you go back home. There are lots of resources available online at our training centers and certification. If you and your team want to then catch those, really tap onto those resources, many of them are free and really ask your account teams and get going. So with those, really thank you for coming to the session and before I let you go, uh, please rate our session and please complete the survey, Chris and I and And the chief architect from KBB will step aside at the stage. We welcome your questions. Feel free to ask us uh, any any questions. We'll take uh, any questions at this time. Thank you. Cool. Thank you, Chris. Yeah, absolutely.
1: uh, Thank you.